Did you know that 11% of the queer community feels like they will not have enough money to last through retirement? What if you are a boomer who wants to or feels like you are getting close to retirement? It's time to talk with David Ray, CFP, about the options and advantages that we as queer individuals and couples can use to create a great retirement without the fear of the Shady Pines. This week's show is being brought to you by the new Debt-Free Guys Spending Analysis, Spreadsheet, and Video Training. Get over to DebtFreeGuys.com and download it today. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Hey, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt-Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. All right, welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We are going to close out a series that we've been working on, on generational retirement and careers. And once again, we have David Ray with us to talk about hello, 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 to talk about <laughs> the oldest generation in our group uh, that is thinking about retiring, or in some cases, uh, some of them have retired. I think I saw something said recently that boomers started retiring in mass in 2011. So we've got about five years under our belt of that massive population starting to leave the workforce. So we wanted to talk a little bit about those who are in retirement, those who are preparing for retirement, and the best way to make that retirement the best you can. So again, thanks for coming back, David. Uh, you want to go, go ahead and give us a little information about yourself for those who haven't uh, listened before. Hi, I'm David Ray. I'm a certified financial planner and an accredited investment fiduciary with Trilogy Financial in Los Angeles. I specialize in the LGBT community, and I have a ton of clients that are right about to retire or already retired from the LGBT community. So married to my husband here in LA, and we have our two little chihuahuas in case you care. <laughs> so so I get all the fun stuff that we get to come in with that, you know, is LGBT specific when we're talking retirement and all that other fun stuff. So I'm here to make it as fun and interesting as possible. <laughs> and you always do. Yes, thank you for thank coming you. back. So my first question for you, if you don't mind, what, what common trends are you seeing um, from your clients who are part of the boomer generation? Well, I think there's there's people that are my clients, and they're probably people that are a little bit more prepared and, and about to retire, or definitely in the position to be retiring. But I think as a community as a whole, we really have the haves and the haves nots. I would say there's people that you know have really benefited from you know maybe not having children and other things like that that make a lot more uh, money available to save, and then you have the people who maybe going through the AIDS crisis in the 80s or for other reasons, uh, just never saved any money. And we have a ton of people that are really at the bottom of the saving scale that really have nothing saved or very little saved. And it's going to be a tight retirement for them. So it's going to be very interesting to see as a community. I kind of think of it as a barbell. We have a ton of people with a ton of money. And that's kind of the stereotypical LGBT, gay, gay male, blah, blah, blah. And then we have the people that, you know, really aren't aren't screaming gay walking down the street you go oh my god that guy's gay but they are and it, you know there's there's people that look fabulous in a broke and there's people that look well 
like hideous in her. We'll leave leave it at that. Picture, you know, a gay Donald Trump or something. Ooh, please don't. I mean that all with all love. They don't uh, exist. You know, (laughs) I mean that with all love. But you, you know, you can't. Appearances really aren't 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 what you should judge people on for. You know, looking at their wealth and things like that. There's a lot of people who are driving fancy cars, living great houses, and don't have a pot to piss in. And there's probably some people that are driving a 1982 uh, Toyota Corolla and loving it and enjoying life and have tons of money and could be driving that Range Rover and pay for it 10 times over. So it's, it's really an interesting time right now for the LGBT community. And as we have added marriage equality, there's a whole bunch of new benefits potentially available as far as passing wealth between partners and social security and a, just a ton of other things and beyond just acceptance and more more rights. Yeah, it's very interesting that you say that, David. And it, I, I recently read the LGBT financial experience study, 2016-2017, that that Prudential did, and you made a comment there about the haves and the have-nots. And I remember reading in that study that said that only 11% of queer individuals and their group, when they did their study, they covered gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered. So across the board, they looked at uh, that uh, almost everyone in the queer group, and they said that only 11% felt confident that they were going to have enough money to last during their retirement. That's quite staggering That's to me, <laughs> that 89% of us do not feel comfortable. And I guess one anecdotal thing I will ask about you, do you find that most of your clients who are financially prepared, are couples? I do think being part of a couple does have a lot of advantages. You're just more likely to take the steps to plan. You're more likely to have a combined higher income. You're more likely to have a lower cost of living. And and as far as, you know, if you're renting an apartment or paying a mortgage, the mortgage is the same whether two people live there or one. There's some other expenses that vary, but you're just going to be doing a lot more of the things that are, I would call, triggers for financial planning. You you got married or you coupled up or you moved in together. There's a lot of triggers in life that really push you towards making financial decisions, putting a plan together to actually save for retirement and some other things where our single gay counterparts just maybe haven't made some of those life choices along the way. Or just being single, their, their cost of living were were high, was higher, and they just ended up not saving any money. Because most of us, or a lot of us, do live in metropolitan areas that tend to have higher cost of living and a ton of other fun things there. And you know, it is it is a big gap between I think the the married folks and the non married folks. So I yeah, think it's, our lives are probably pretty indicative of that. I mean, we're not married yet, but it's only because I think we were together that you and I both came to the conclusion that we had to fix our, our credit card situation and pay off our debt. I don't know that I would have done that on my own as soon as I did with you. Um, I'm not saying it was not inevitable, um, but I might not have started it as soon as I did. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things, the reason I asked that, David, is because one of the things that the study did point out was that gay men earn about 75% of what their straight male counterparts earn. But... When coupled, they earn more than the typical straight couple. And so I think that there's a interesting, um, like you said, there, there's some interesting aspects that happen when you are a couple. Not that we're necessarily encouraging it, but financially, there are some things that just automatically happen. The, the 
what they call it economies of scale oftentimes when you are a couple in being able to live together, share expenses, those kinds of things. So I think it, that does afford individuals the opportunity then to invest some of their disposable income that they're not maybe spending on the things that they would be if they were living independently. And, you know, sometimes it's just having an accountability partner or someone watching over you. I mean, I would think part of my job as a financial planner is just being that little voice in your head, even when I'm not there is don't buy that. Don't spend that money. <laughs> my clients always joke that they hear me whispering that at them when I know I'm not there or creepy. I might be there at the mall. Behind you. you really yeah, need that. Sticking up behind them. <laughs> but there, you know, there's a, there is a study that I'm trying to remember what it was, where it was from, but um, I know it just came out and I wrote a blog about it and I can't remember the study, but they were saying gay married men, you know, on average had a higher income actually versus the, their straight counterparts as part of the population. So there's that. And of course, then you add in gay married couples with children, <laughs> maybe even the most, but some of that is more based on who would be having children rather than, uh, you know, actually making a ton more money because you happen to have children. I don't think having children means you make more money. I think the people that are having children as gay men are earning more so they can afford <laughs> the fun process of adopting or surrogacy or whatever else uh, they're doing to get there. So, so it was something based on taxes from 2014. And I, I apologize for not having the study up. But that's good. If you can find the study, we can add it to the show notes. Ah, it's from the Treasury Department and the study, that's just from the Treasury Department, statistics from 2014's taxes. Nice. So nice. some of that also might just be part of who uh, reported being married on their taxes so far, because I'm guessing higher income people, perhaps, perhaps just a guess, were more likely to rush and get married for no apparent reason other than <laughs> to get married. <laughs> yeah. we, go ahead. <laughs> so I was just going to say, if... Um, if single gay men earn less than single straight men, but gay couples combined earn more money than their straight couple counterparts. That's that male, mean, male. Male. Male, yeah, gay. Then does that mean that we're more inclined to marry somebody outside of our economic class than, say, a straight couple? You know, I think part of that is going to be the, we're probably less likely to have someone stay at home, but that's that's my guess. I think, you know, if you're taking a, a wife's swath of the population, uh, heterosexual couple, you're probably more likely to have a, a wife staying home at least at some point in time in that, whether it's raising kids or just completely stay at home. And I think gay men, you have two men, you may, you do have a lot of couples where one earns a ton of money or one is starting a new business and their income is, is a little lighter for a period. And sometimes that flips. I've worked with couples where when I started working then with them, say 10 years ago, one person was the big breadwinner and the other person had this guy in the you know, dream job and the, that flips later on. The other person is more the, the, the big earner to switch careers and is now probably a little bit more dream, dreamy job. And the, the other person is now making big bucks because their dream paid off and following their passion was a great way to go. And I think that's, it's just a nice thing to, to see out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. One of the things I was noticing from the study was that I think it said that 8% of gay male couples have children. So there's lower expenses there because we're not having children when it come when we compare ourselves to our straight counterparts lesbians on the other hand i think it was 23 percent of lesbian couples have children in the home so they have higher expenses and they actually have less their earning power or, or what 
what they bring home is less than their straight counterparts. So it's a very interesting when you look at the queer community, the need for being prepared financially is very important uh, and assessing what your the choices that you've already made in life and how those will impact where you need to be or want to be when it comes to your retirement. It is very important. I think the LGBT community does face some challenges and we still face discrimination in the workplace. I mean, we can be fired in what, 38 states? I could be wrong on that number, but it's uh, much higher than it should be. I'd much, I'd prefer that to be at zero states. We could be fired just for being gay. But at the same time, we also have some additional challenges when we retire, because if you have children at home, you may not think they're going to be providing your long-term care, but many kids are driving their parents to the doctors or checking in on them or just making sure they aren't being abused as elders. Whereas the LGBT community, we do have a lot more people, especially the boomers that are retiring now that are maybe estranged from their family or don't have children for sure. I mean, your statistics there show that large percentages of us don't have children and you know, even if we do have family that we're close with, we may not live near them much. I would say a pretty big propensity to move towards big cities, uh, tons of clients, which are from say the Midwest, but they live here in LA or San Francisco or New York, and they're nowhere near their family in small town, uh, middle America, <laughs> you know, which has its pros and has its cons. I mean, I think, you know, the LGBT type of healthcare that you'd want to have is much nicer in a big city or a metropolitan area than small town. That's just, be nice yeah. here, but hick doctor. <laughs> <laughs> One of the um, things we talked about in a previous show was that uh, it's 28 states that you can get fired for being on um, LGBT, um, but as well as that there are more states that where um, the nursing homes don't aren't required to have sexual orientation protections in their policies yet. And so you could go to a nursing home with your same-sex spouse think that you'll be together and then either be separated or treated poorly because they don't have those protections. So if you want to be able to stay with your spouse until you know one of you passes away, then that's something to take into consideration. You might need to consider moving to another state, which adds another expense, especially if you're already you know not well-to-do. Right. And that is a big concern for many seniors. I mean, even, even here in LA, I've been over to a nursing home where I have a, quite a few clients here in Hollywood, like right in the center. <laughs> it's not West Hollywood, but it's Hollywood. It's, you know, and they know exactly who's gay in the place. And most of them, I would say, are not hiding anything, but they're not out if they're not there with a partner. If they're just, uh, you know, an 85 year old gay man, they're just, they're just 85 year old man. And when the woman hits on them, they just smile and go, Oh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> uh, you know, so they don't I mean, scream. Ah. <laughs> there, there is gay staff there on, on staff at the place I'm thinking of here. So it's not like they're being discriminated against necessarily, but even here in where you'd assume it wouldn't be an issue at all. They're still kind of back in the closet at some level. And, you know, some of that's generational and some of that really will be regional, uh, probably for quite some time, unfortunately, you know, if you're out in one of these neighborhoods, you know, where say North Carolina, where you're not supposed to use the wrong bathroom or the right bathroom or whatever the problem is, you know, I'd be concerned if I was a senior and, and going into an environment and letting people know that I'm gay. And I think even me at my age, I wouldn't really want to be traveling there and be out and about or wearing my pretty in pink outfits. <laughs> but you do look pretty in pink. Right. All yeah. the poor, poor people in North Carolina, you don't get to see it. Right. So you can go to my website. And <laughs> right. So we do take into, need to take into consideration these uh, later in life costs. But what about when we're first starting to retire or think about retirement? So let's say you're 
maybe five or you think you're five years away from retirement, what kinds of decisions or questions should you be asking to be more prepared? Absolutely. When you're, say, five years out from retirement, you're really, I mean, that may seem like a ton of time, but that is a very small amount of time in, you know, retirement planning years. So you really do need to buckle down and probably sit down with a fiduciary certified financial planner and figure out where you're at now. Take take consideration. Do you have savings? Do you have retirement accounts? Do you have credit card debt? Do you still have a mortgage? Where do you want to live? I mean, there's a ton of questions you want to have and figure out what you need to be doing in those say next five years to get to the retirement finish line so that you know you will have financial security and you're not going to be stressed it, that you're going to run out of money. And I think a lot of people really are just kind of going, I'm going to retire when I'm 65. It doesn't matter. They're not thinking about it until I'm 65, I'm retiring, and they're going to just spend until they're out of money. And all of a sudden, you're going to be 70 and you're going to either be working at McDonald's or a greeter at Walmart. And there's going to be a lot of competition for those jobs. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people. Uh, not say a lot of gay people, but uh, hopefully we can find something more fabulous than that. But there's going to be a lot of people uh, that are, are going to be very surprised when they get to retirement and they try and live on a Social Security check, which I believe averages something like 1300 a month right now is the average Social Security check. Some people get more, some people get less, but uh, I think most of you listening right now would probably have a tough time, even with two of you getting those checks, to get by on that number. At the very least, you wouldn't have a great standard of living in most metropolitan areas. I mean, that would, your rent would kill most of that. And realistically, you just need to buckle down and figure out, you know, where you can cut back if, if you're behind, how you can save a little bit more, make sure you're getting your company match. If you work at a place that has a 401k or retirement plan and there is maybe profit sharing or employee match, cause that can just help jumpstart your things, uh, there. And also you, you have some catch up options. If you are able to save money, or even if you just have some money sitting in savings, you have the ability to kind of, I would say, do some accounting and move it from one account to the other to make some extra contributions to your retirement accounts to maybe lower your tax bill a little bit in the short term, which then frees up a little more money to be saved. I mean, there's so many things you should be doing. And you do want to make sure while you're young and healthy and you're able to think about this stuff that you've made some of these long-term financial decisions on, you know, am I going to stay living where I'm living? Do I want to move to retirement community? Can I move to retirement community? Can I, can I even retire? I mean, I think there's a lot of people who may need to work part-time or, you know, retirement may be a career change. I've worked with a lot of people who kind of love what they do. They just want to maybe take some of the stress out of their job and they take some of their responsibilities down. So they're maybe still earning or still working part-time, but, you know, that helps lower the amount that they're taking out of their savings right out of the bat when they're retiring. That boomers are living about four years longer than the previous generation. Uh, so when you think about adding an extra four years of expenses to your life, you want to take into consideration, you know, what do you, wh- how much are you spending today? You know, if you're, if you're earning $50,000 a year today and you're spending 40000 $45,000 of that, well, multiply that by four and you need, in order to live those f- extra four years safely, you need to need to have an an extra one hundred and sixty to one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, and that may seem like a, a staggering number, especially when we consider the fact that the stati- other statistic that we saw today was that forty percent of boomers have nothing saved. So 
adding those extra four years can be difficult. It definitely needs, you do need to take that consideration. When you think you're close to retirement, the finish line may be further off than you think. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of people kind of have a false sense of security with retirement. I think a lot of boomers saw their parents retire and they may not, their parents may not have saved a ton of money, but they had a pension that replaced 100% of their income. So anything they had saved was was gravy and they probably had their house paid off by that time they retired. But if you go look at the boomers, and I mean this in the best way, we're more likely to have a much bigger mortgage on our house. You probably have a much higher standard of living. I mean, my, when my grandpa passed away, he was happy with his records. He didn't need cable. He you know, went to the senior center for a dollar a meal and he was set. I mean, he had way more money when he passed away than he did when he retired. But I, then I look at most boomers and, you know, they have, they're going to have the new iPhone, they're going to have the new car, they're going to have all this, the amenities that we're used to, and they're not going to have that pension. And like you said, they're going to have four more years of living on average. And there's going to be a lot of people who live a lot longer than that. I think as a gay community, there's a lot of us who are probably a little more health conscious than the average person. So I think a lot of us will probably even live a little longer than the average person. If I had to guess, I don't have a medical fact for that, but I, I picture a lot of my healthy eating friends versus say the average uh, McDonald's eating person. Uh, <laughs> no offense to McDonald's eaters listening here, but if that's, uh, if you I like my chicken me, you're going to have some trouble. <laughs> Don't eat every meal there. <laughs> no, I, I, I completely agree with you. So if you're thinking about retirement or you're clo- you think that you're close, I think that one of the suggestions that we would make and I'm sure David, you would probably agree, meet with a financial advisor to have a financial check-in so that you know whether or not you are five years out. You may end up being two and a half years out. You may end up being seven and a half years out. So it gives you the, the best way to be prepared for retirement is to know what you what you need to do to be prepared and be working towards that. And I think meeting with a financial advisor allows you that financial check-in as to maybe someone would be able with more experience to tell you some of the things you may not be considering, what kind of expenses you may be forgetting about. Let me ask, David, um, we were starting to see the word fiduciary thrown around a lot more lately simply because of the Department of Labor changes. Could you define that for us, please? Yeah. So it's someone that basically it's a standard by the Department of Labor. And realistically, you're going to, that person, if they're working under a fiduciary standard, is going to have to put your interests ahead of their own. And there's a different couple set of regulations. But I think the big thing you want to know is that person has to put your interests first rather than trying to bake a commission or a lot of these other things there. So it's very important that the person you're working with is a fiduciary. There's a lot of pushback by a lot of the big name places that you might have heard of. <laughs> so uh, there, there's people trying to get around it, and they might try and have you on a vice agreement or something like that. Ooh, I'm, this is a best interest, and it's they're they're basically if they're not trying to work on a fiduciary standard, they're probably not a certified financial planner. They're probably not really doing financial planning, which if you're trying to do retirement planning last minute, you really want to make sure it's, it's about your financial plan. It's not about the best investment, which is part of a financial plan, but that's not really the whole point. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the basic plain English is a fiduciary is required to put the clients ahead, uh, the client's interests ahead of their own, and any potential conflict of interest must be disclosed. And it's it's pretty simple. It seems straightforward. And I think a lot of people really think their advisor is probably already uh, a fiduciary, but in reality, a large number of people in the in the industry are not, and they're 
they're <laughs> freaking out at how they're going to have to change their business come April next year to to meet with the standard. I've been working as a fiduciary quite a long time, so it's not really a big change for me. It's just going to mean some more regulations to make sure that I'm, you know, documenting everything the right way for the, yeah. <laughs> for the regulation, but that's more of a, just a regulation than, than being a fiduciary or not. But you know, you want them, if you're, if you're sitting down with someone, should you retire in two years or five years or retire now? I had a couple come in and they, they wanted to retire now, but they were five years out. Let's be honest. It was not a, a good conversation. If I wasn't working as a fiduciary, it would have been much better for me personally to tell them to retire now and roll over all your assets. And <laughs> I make a huge amount of money now in the next two or three years, I might as well start making the money now versus what was best for them. Because if they retired now, they're behind and they wouldn't have enough money to probably live the amount of time that they're going to live. In three years, they're going to be set. They're going to be able to do all the things that they wanted to do. They wanted to travel. They want to do a whole list of things. And if they wait three more years, we had a nice... Well, I call it fun conversation. They didn't love it. But, <laughs> well, one of them loved it that, you know, they got it out now before retiring, but they weren't, you know, waiting three more years meant that they had a lot more financial security. They could enjoy those trips. They could do what they needed to be doing. And that's kind of where a financial planner and a fiduciary financial planner will have the right conversation with you rather than going, sure, roll it over now. I'll love to manage your money now and get, you know, paid on it, which is, you know, I'm not saying I don't want to get paid, but I'm going to do what's right for you. <laughs> right. 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 Cool. Very good. So I have a question. So you are, say you are 65 um, and you have nothing saved for retirement. What options are there for somebody? I know it probably sounds dismal, but what are, what are the best options for somebody who's in that position? Well, to put things positively, I mean, it, if you're coming in at 65, your dream retirement probably isn't what we're look, looking for unless you really want to keep working. <laughs> but any amount you can save is going to be an improvement. So, I mean, don't feel bad. You know, you're, you're 65. We're, we're all about starting from where you're at now and figuring out the best thing we can do for your future. Because, again, you're not going to probably save enough to, you know, replace 100% of your income and dream travel and all these amazing things. But, you know, having an extra 1000 a month or 500 a month is still going to be a lot better when you're retired. And when you're 90, having extra money or not, not living off that Social Security check is going to be much better than if you had – just continue to ignore it and all of a sudden you're 70 or 75 and you're still at zero, you're going to be in even worse shape because your opportunity to save and grow that money at all is going to get smaller and smaller the longer you wait. So the best advice I could say there is get started, do whatever you can and work towards it and work up on what you're saving. You can actually put away about 24000 a year into the 401k if you're over 50. So, I mean, you have a lot of opportunities to play catch up. And I know a lot of people go, oh my God, I can't save 24000 but there's tons of people that are maxing those out. And, you know, you really might need to because if you're 65, you're going to want to combine looking for ways to cut your expenses because you're going to need to in retirement. Because I'm going to guess unless you're making very low income, you're going to need to probably spend less in retirement and you're going to need to be saving some money. So you're going to be a win-win if you're able to cut back and save some money. Right. I, I would definitely agree with you that starting immediately is, is the most important thing there, whether it's working with your employer to start your 401k if they have that and getting, getting that employer match or starting contacting an investment firm to start a Roth IRA or some sort of IRA in, investment vehicle. And if you don't have the option with an employer, there's the government-sponsored plan, the MIRA, which you can find at myra.gov. 
is one way to get started. Uh, the nice thing about that myro.gov site is it allows you, there's a calculator right on the, the homepage where you can just play around with inve adding investments, anything from uh, $30, $40 a month uh, on up and see how it will affect the amount of money that you'll have in one year, 10 years, 20 years. You can go out as far as you'd like, but I think that's probably, like you said, the, the, the most important thing is, is to get started immediately. And then I think one of the other things that you kind of mentioned, David, was this idea of, of knowing where it is you want to go. Set a goal and start working diligently towards that. Um, if you're 65, the reality is, is that you are going to most likely, and you don't have anything saved, you're going to have to work. And you're going to have to work for most likely the rest of your life or the, the, as long as you are able to work so that you can afford to live. Uh, so setting that goal and working diligently towards it, one of the calculations that I did just quickly beforehand was that if you set aside $12,000 a year at 7% for 20 years, you're going to save over half a million dollars. And so if you or you and your spouse can do that and work diligently on save, setting aside that money, you may, uh, you may end up working just as long, but have a really nice retirement for the last remaining years of being able to live out some really enjoyable time by, because you set that goal and work diligently towards it. Great advice. Definitely. And even if you're just starting small, I mean, you're talking 40, 50, a hundred dollars a month it may seem like nothing. And it may not seem when you play with that calculator that it's not getting you that far, but it's, it's a starting point. It's all of a sudden you're saving 50 bucks and then you up it to a hundred and you just see it getting there. And that means you have money if there's an emergency or if you need to go to the hospital or are sick for a week, or perhaps, you know, even if you just happen to save a pretty small amount of money, but it, it's going to be significant. And that might just mean the difference between staying in a job you're miserable at and maybe doing a job that's maybe a little bit more enjoyable or a little easier as you age. That's maybe not as stressful physically. Or the difference between top ramen and craft macaroni and cheese for dinner, huh? Fancy. Think, dream big. <laughs> right, exactly. Dream big. You, you did bring up the the idea of um, of income, and that's one. I think one of the other things that we would encourage individuals to do who are in that that space, whether your you, retirement is ten years away, fifteen years away, or you hope that it's less than that, um, find ex, find ways to make extra money. Uh, and again, I, you know, I'm a numbers person. So I threw in, th uh, what, $300 extra a month at 7% for 10 years would add an extra $31,000 to your retirement. So just making $300 a month more, there's lots of ways that you can make a, a few extra hundred dollars a month. Uh, John and I will link to in the show notes here, a, a an article that has 68 side hustles that you can make money off of. So we'll link to that if you're looking for ways to bring in that just that little bit of extra money that will allow you to pad the numbers. So I have another question for you, David. I read something in preparing that talked about if you are in this space where you don't have very much saved or you don't have anything saved and you're getting closer to retirement, that you should be a little bit more aggressive when it comes to your investing because you have that potential for better returns because you started late. What are your thoughts on that, on encouraging individuals to be a little bit more aggressive? Let's say, well, you're, think, say, let's say you're 55 and you still have, uh, you know, hopefully 10 years or 15 years before you're, you want to retire. 
you know, I think, look, sitting down with someone in that, that position that's behind, we kind of need that money to grow. So you kind of have to be more aggressive than what you might read about and going, oh, I'm 55 years old and I read this rule of thumb. I should have this much and this much. You know, if you're going to be working longer, and I think a lot of those old rules of thumb are starting to be old because people are living a lot longer. So, you know, back, if you read something from the 1950s and they expected you to die at 68, well, your math's going to be much different on, on what this money needs to do for you if you're retiring at 68 and going to live to 80 or 90. So I do think you want to be a little more aggressive. And if you are too conservative, there's a lot of risk with that as well. I think a lot of people are too conservative when they get close to retirement. And with that in mind, they end up taking too little risk and they maybe sit the money in the bank or they sit in something that's like a fixed rate. And we can almost do the math and go, OK, you're going to earn 3 percent, let's say. This will never get you enough. <laughs> you know, right. you're saving a hundred dollars a month at three percent. You're going to have four dollars left at the end of retirement. Like, there's not going to be enough money there either way. So you might as well take a little bit more risk and be a little bit more aggressive. Not saying crazy aggressive, not gambling, not going to Vegas, but have a diversified portfolio that's still skewed a little more towards growth because you do have the time and you do need that money to grow. And when you retire, you don't go, oh, I'm retired and take all of it out. You're taking out a few hundred dollars per month or a percentage of it, the portfolio every month. So a lot of that money is going to be invested for a pre pretty long period of time there. So it gives you a little more breathing room to be a little bit more aggressive with your investing. Yeah, absolutely. I think today's stock market is definitely not our parents or and our grandparents' stock market. I mean, you can't make any money off of saving, whereas in the 70s, you could make 13% from saving money. You know, right. Yeah, but if you could earn 13% on a bank account, I'd probably be, yeah, go put it in the bank. But if right. you're going to earn 0.00001% <laughs> and it's not as tax efficient and it's locked up in a CD for 72 years, uh, it's probably not going to work very well. <laughs> right. right. So I think that's pretty interesting. I think we, we often talk a lot on our blog and different writings that we've done is um, the power of the gig economy for millennials. But I think it also behooves boomers and, and Gen Xers and, um, to consider the power of the gig economy. Start your own blog. Start your own online store. Maximize Etsy. There's, and that's part of what, probably what you're going to – those 68 side hustles you're going to leverage is how to, how to do some of that stuff. I mean exactly. it's pretty – it takes some time, but it's not – impossible, not insurmountable to make $300 a month off of a blog. Right. So if that, that's a goal of yours, you could probably do that in a year or two. And the sooner you start, the better. So if you're 15 years from retirement, you could be rocking it by the time you retire. Great advice. So uh, one, one more question for you. There seems to be still a lot of confusion and uh, apprehensiveness when it comes to Social Security benefits and uh, same-sex couples. Uh, so one of the things that I did read was that domestic partnerships and civil unions are state-based. And so, so, so Social Security benefits do not always transfer in all cases. Um, and they suggested contacting the Social, Social Security Administration. So David, can you give us a little bit of an update as to what is going on in that space and what individuals who are listening, what they should be thinking about if they are not married, if they are in a civil union or domestic partnership, or they are married, what kinds of things should they be thinking about or be aware of? Yeah, so don't feel bad. This is a very complicated topic for anyone. And I, I'd say straight married couples have been having, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of marriage to think about this and plan for it. As an LGBT community, we've just been given these benefits a few years ago. So it, it, there's a lot of confusion. There's even more confusion for, for LGBT folks. Um, you do have to be married at the federal level, and that means actually 
filling out whatever paperwork that is <laughs> so, yeah. and recognize. So that's really my non-legal advice there. But, you know, things to consider, especially if there is a big gap in income and benefits. You know, if you're, if you're wavering on whether to get married or not, Social Security benefits is a pretty big benefit to think about or one of the big decision makers there. So realistically, you know, you both probably, you know, we're talking to your gay men, they both worked to two gay women and both worked their lifetimes. They're both going to have their own benefit. But if we have a couple that maybe someone stayed home or someone was really not earning the income, the other person was, you can get a benefit based off your spouse. So you'd be entitled to half of your spouse's benefit. It doesn't take away from your spouse, but let's just say, David, you worked and you had the big income and, you know, you're getting 3000 a month. John could perhaps, if he'd never worked or really hadn't paid a lot of taxes into Social Security, would get be eligible for half of that benefit. And you could decide what makes the most sense to take half of your benefit or to take his benefit. So it can be a big, big boon for people's retirement security. Also, in that case, let's just say you guys, uh, you know, one of you is getting a much higher benefit. If the person with the higher benefit passes away... The surviving spouse can get a survivor benefit, basically, and get the higher benefit when their spouse passes away, and they just jump up to that newer, higher rate, which, again, can be a really big deal when one person lives a lot longer. Right, right. <laughs> you are going, essentially, you know, from two incomes to one income, and it is a big thing, and delaying your benefits is going to be a really big, important thing for those of the people that we mentioned in your, your stats there of, Hi, I'm 65 and I have nothing saved. You know, don't take Social Security right at 65 because it, it jumps up, you know, 8% a year. Basically, your benefits go up as you delay it. And if you have less and less saved, it's going to be a much bigger part of your retirement income. And I think even wealthy people are going to rely on this as part of their retirement income. But it's going to be a huge percentage for people with, the, with a lot less savings. Yeah, so that's like the real life version of what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you know, it doesn't take away from someone. And you know, also uh, probably our folks that maybe were married to uh, uh, well, in a straight marriage at some point in the past. If you were married for ten years, you can still get potentially get benefits off uh, your ex spouse. I think this, in my experience, has mostly been the the lesbians. <laughs> now lesbians who were married to men at some point in time. There's definitely men out there that were married to women as well. But uh, income wise, I think the the female staying home while she was married to a man and now coming out later in life is probably a more common story. I could be generalizing, but that could be a very big opportunity too for benefits there. So things to think about. It's a really confusing topic. Again, I think it's a great opportunity to really sit down with a financial planner and see what your best benefits are. I do uh, like the Social Security Administration and they're, they're doing their best, but uh, they are a government administration and occasionally... Uh, they're not there to advise you, they're there to give you information. So sometimes it's like a deluge of information, which doesn't necessarily give you the right answer for what you should be doing. They're going to be like, here's 400 pages, which the answer's <laughs> in there somewhere, figure it out. And that right. it's not the same as going, here's what you should do, or here's what you know. No, don't sign up at 62 and get a you know huge reducement in your benefit while you're still working and increasing your tax bill and all those other fun things. Because Social Security can be taxable if you make even a modest income. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's pretty low. It's something like... Well, more than you, you'll want to be living on more than that. We'll just say that. <laughs> right. Well, I think it kind of, when you think about it, it almost made sense when during the AIDS crisis for gay couples or gay people to not do a lot of long-term planning. In fact, we've heard stories of gay people who thought by now that they would not be alive. And so they didn't plan accordingly. 
but we've matured as a community over the last several years, and now we have the rights that we've been fighting for for so many years, it behooves us to start thinking long-term and stop pretending that we're still in the disco days of the 70s or, um, um, you know, or the AIDS crisis of, of the 80s. We need to start thinking long-term. So if you are with someone, um, or, or even if you aren't with somebody, um, it seems like it's beneficial for you to consider settling down, finding somebody, committing to uh, both, you know, successful relationship as well as a successful financial relationship and think long-term like straight couples have been thinking for 40, 50, hundreds, hundreds of years. Don't feel bad. I mean, I, we're going to giving some straight couples a lot of credit there, but there's plenty of straight couples <laughs> that are 65 and have nothing saved as well. So I'm exactly. not throwing you all under the bus, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but we do have, you know, stereotypically, we do have a, a pretty good contingent of people. like you said, that just weren't expecting to be here and it's, and it's very common. And I think, I have been reading uh, about life expectancy for people with HIV, and it really does seem with the current treatments that realistically you're going to live just as long as anybody else, uh, and you're gonna, you're probably going to have higher medical bills and some other expenses of just ongoing treatment, but you're going to live as long as everyone else. Yeah, ah! so, so plan accordingly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's good and bad. <laughs> it was kind of funny there when John was making that comment about um, – whether you're in a relationship or not, you might think about hooking up with someone. So eventually, I didn't I'm say sure hooking there, up with somebody. Uh, well, to get married, <laughs> I'm thinking eventually there's going to be a Tinder or Grinder like app to hook you up with somebody who is financially eligible for, for, for marriage. <laughs> they can call it balls and chains <laughs> with a Z. Right there, you oh, go. Oh, great! <laughs> it is very interesting because you may have been with somebody for. 15, 20, 30 years, never been married, and never had the desire to get married. But you're going to be with that person for the rest of your life. The financial consequences of not getting married could inhibit you from having the life that you want to have together or separately when one of you passes away. So I think what you said, David, is very important that if you have been together for a number of years and you're not married, it would be a good idea to sit down with a financial advisor and talk about what are the financial benefits of us getting married. It's an important conversation to have. And there, you know, there's some tax benefits to being married. There's some tax penalties to being married, depending on your situation. But if right. you're, if you're, you know, you do want to have the conversation and you want to know where you're at and making sure you're both protected. Cause a lot of those couples that have been together 30, 40 years, a lot of the money's in one person's name. And you've heard the horror stories, especially before gay marriage was legal or same sex marriage was legal where the one spouse dies or one partner dies and the family comes in and goes, you're his roommate. And you know, you've been at it 40 years and you really don't have a leg to stand on legally. So there's some things you want to do if you choose not to get married, which is totally a choice. I'm not, I'm not putting an opinion on that, but there's some things you want to do with estate planning and beneficiaries and life insurance and some other things that you really want to make sure you're both taken care of and that things are in writing and all that fun stuff of where the money should be going so that your, your 85th cousin out in Bumble bumble crap Egypt somewhere is, you know, who's homophobic, it's Confederate flag on his truck and screw the gays, uh, you know, bumper sticker isn't getting all the money you've built up over your life, over your, you know, life partner. Right. We've already had to put the parental advisory warning on our show. So you can, you can say the effort if you feel I was so trying annoyed. to get around that. I was like, what would go there? You know exactly what I was saying. You know, when, you do the, when David does the editing, he'll have to add like a whistle over that. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I feel like we've made some pretty good progress in this discussion. Um, I think at least if you're approaching retirement or you're in retirement, we've given some options for somebody. Um, I think what I'd also like to stress on this show is if you are a millennial or you are a Gen Xer and you paid attention to this, don't let yourself get into a position where it becomes an emergency situation at the age of 65. Right. Um, hear what we've talked about today and start planning sooner. Meet with a financial a fiduciary, a financial planner sooner rather than later um, and get your plan started today. Yeah, the earlier you start, the easier it'll be. No matter what your financial goals are, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, it's just going to be easier to get started sooner. And you know, it's always going to feel tough, no matter what I tell you to save, or no matter what that financial planner says. Saving a hundred bucks a month may seem crazy at the beginning, and ten years from now, you're like, "Oh my God, remember when that was hard?" And I'm saving, <laughs> you know, all this, or you just look at how much that hundred dollars a month added up to as you put money in and as it's grown, and as you've gotten employer matches and tax savings and all this fun stuff. Then you, you find a partner or a spouse and you double it and you're like, oh, we're rich. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we're paying off our debt. <laughs> now, we're, now we're not broke. Wherever you're starting from, exactly. it's always going to be an improvement. <laughs> yeah, it is always easier. I think when you made that comment about you know, starting $100 when you're younger, it's, I think that meme that I see on Facebook every now and then, it's a person, it's this cartoon of this um, heavier set woman looking in the mirror and it, the meme says, I wish I was fat, as fat as I was the first time I thought I was fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I think there's a correlation there with I wish I could um, go back to saving a hundred dollars when I was in my twenties rather than having to save a thousand dollars when I'm in my fifties or sixties or whatever. Right. It goes up exponentially. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. It's not like you know you wait ten years and just a hundred dollars a month will still get you there because unless you want to keep working ten more years, you really are playing catch up, and you, you don't want to be playing catch up. You want to be fabulous, right. exactly. having tons of money. Yeah, I think back to the. To Jim Rohn, uh, who is somebody that motivational speaker that John and I have listened to for a number of years. And he was talking about when he was young and he was 26. And he said, I'm a healthy young man. I'm living in America. There's absolutely no reason why I shouldn't be successful, except for I get in my own way. You know, so he, a real, he recognized that it was up to him to become successful. And I think the same thing for, especially for millennials, there's no reason that a millennial should not retire a millionaire. There is Absolutely. so much information out there. And the fact that you have 30, 40 years to do this, there's no reason why you shouldn't retire a millionaire. It will be, it will be so much easier to do it now than it will be then. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, David, thank you so much for coming back. We appreciate having you, as always. Uh, where can our audience find you? Check out my blog at financialplannerla.com, and um, all my contact info is there, financialplannerla.com. Perfect. We'll also put that in the show notes, and we will have David Ray back um, sooner rather than later, I hope. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, well, thanks, guys. Yep. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ready to retire? If not, there are plenty of options. Keep an open mind and start creating your plan today. Saving more by reducing your expenses is one of the first keys to building a bigger retirement fund. Remember to download the Debt-Free Guys Spending Analysis Spreadsheet and watch the video for help on cutting costs and saving more. Thanks again for listening to Queer Money. Okay, we just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs>
would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end I like the butts, so <laughs> yeah. uh,